Welcome to the 23 Minutes in Hell podcast. Author and speaker Bill Weiss and his wife Annette address the many questions we all have about hell and eternity. Bill and Annette believe the subject of hell shouldn't grip us with fear, but instead, it should inspire us to use our time on earth wisely. Thank you for listening to my wife and I. Today we are discussing the battle for your soul. Now, many do not realize that we all possess a soul. We are a spirit being and we live in a physical body, but we possess a soul, which is our mind, will, and emotions. Now, sometimes the soul and spirit are used interchangeably, but they are different. In 1 Thessalonians 5.23, it says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this confirms we are a three-part being. And the point is, our soul and spirit are eternal and will reside in either heaven or hell after death. That's a really good point, Bill, to bring out, because I think a lot of um, people in the body of Christ just don't um, know that we are a three-part being. So thanks for bringing that out. Right. You know, and there is a battle, as you said, Bill, for the eternal you, your soul and your spirit. Then the enemy, who is Satan, of course, wants to deceive people and take them to hell, whether they realize it or not. And Satan deceives people to the point where many don't even believe he exists. Revelation 12, 9 says that he deceives the whole world. He must be very skilled with the art of deception to fool the entire world. That's right. That's right. You know, here are some of his lies that many fall prey to. Number one. There is no God and there is no devil. Number two, if God exists, he wouldn't send me to hell since I'm a pretty good person. Or number three, there is no afterlife. You simply cease to exist. That's annihilationism. Or number four, God is love. Therefore, all roads lead to heaven. Or number five, you've been too bad for God to accept you. Number six, there can't be a God with all the evil in the world. That's a lot of atheists. And uh, number seven, Jesus was just a good teacher and nothing more. Now, sadly, most people hold one or more of these beliefs. Oh, those are great to list, Bill. Um, really important because you're right. Most people hold at least one of those beliefs. Right. You know, and in, in addition, we know that Satan has influenced every sphere of society from the educational system to political structures, entertainment, media, religion, and the list goes on. For instance, the majority of people believe evolution is true. And if you believe in evolution, then you usually don't believe in God. And if you reject God as the creator, you also reject that you are made in his image and that you are accountable to him. That's right. You know, the educational system programs children from the time they first enter school all the way through college. Many children and young adults are brainwashed into a godless mentality and worldview. The deception is subtle, and it's gradual and consistent. Most in academia teach that only an uneducated, simple-minded person believes in the God of the Bible. Most people don't want to think of themselves as uneducated and gullible, so they cave in to the pressure of today's culture, right? Exactly. And then they start doubting God and rejecting God. So true. You know, this is one of Satan's tactics, and uh, he reinforces it through all types of media. 
you know, people desire to be accepted and many times side with the most popular viewpoint. You know, if we fear what people think more than we fear God, we will fall prey to the enemy's lies every time. You know, and just you saying that, Bill, uh, many times people want to side with the most popular viewpoint. That reminds me of this article, and I want to just share portions of it. And it's titled, The Slippery Slide to Unbelief. And it's by Ken Ham and Stacia Byers. And this is on creation.com. And it's an excellent article that brings up this gentleman, um, Charles Templeton, who ended up rejecting his faith. And the backdrop is this is during the 1940s, and there was mass evangelism that exploded onto the American scene at that time. And the article says that Templeton, he was one of the leaders in this movement. He was a young man from Canada, and he was born in 1915. And he was generally acknowledged to be the most versatile of the new young evangelists. And they said he, he was even surpassing another dynamic young preacher, Billy Graham. That's amazing. I know, that is amazing. And in 1946, he was listed among those best used of God by the National Association of Evangelicals. And Templeton also became one of three vice presidents of the newly formed Youth for Christ International Organization in 1945, and then he then nominated his good friend, Billy Graham, to be field evangelist for the new ministry. So Templeton, Graham, and a few others regularly spoke to thousands of people, winning many to Christ, both in America and in Europe, the article state, states. And um, just to go on with a few points here, um, in one instance it says, in, it he was winning 150 converts a night in Evansville, Indiana. The total attendance over the two-week campaign they had was 91,000 out of a population of 128,000. Boy. And church attendance went up 17%. But however, despite his popularity and seeming success as an, evangel- as an evangelist, all was not well with Charles Templeton. The more he read, the more he found he was beginning to question the essentials of the Christian faith because he could no longer believe God's word beginning with Genesis. And it states that in a conversation with Billy Graham concerning Templeton's desire to attend Princeton Theological Seminary, Templeton stated, But Billy, it's simply not possible any longer to believe, for instance, the biblical account of creation— The world wasn't created over a period of days. A few thousand years ago, it has evolved over millions of years. It's not a matter of speculation. It's a demonstrable fact. He he, fell for the evolutionary Yeah, train of thought, exactly. And then Templeton actually warned Billy Graham that it was intellectual suicide to not question the Bible and to go on preaching God's word as authoritative. So with this background of doubt about God's word welling up inside and lacking any type of formal education, he decided to pursue a degree in theology at Princeton Theological Seminary. So he resigned from the church he had pastored for several years, and um, he started his coursework at Princeton in 1948. So then rather than relieve his doubts by providing sound theological answers to the questions he had concerning the authority of the Bible, the historical veracity of Genesis and the deity of Christ, Princeton only served to increase his qualms. 
Of course, this is not surprising considering the influences that had infiltrated Princeton during that time. Um, people like Charles Hodge and B.B. Warfield concerning their approach to the scripture in Genesis. So they taught things like, it is of course admitted that taking this account, Genesis by itself, it would be most natural to understand the word day in the ordinary sense. But if that sense brings the Mosaic account into conflict with facts, as if <laughs> as if evolution has facts, it's a theory, right? right? Right. You know. Anyways, and another sense avoids the conflict, then it is obligatory on us to adopt that other. So they were putting doubt, of course, in all the students' hearts, you know, and minds at that time, saying, you know, it's millions of years, right. and then it evolved into billions of years. Right. So they were saying a day doesn't mean a day. Exactly. You can't take it literally again. Even though it said an evening and the morning were the first day. And it said that seven different times, but they ignore all that. Exactly. You know, and so you can see the danger in just this, you know, and it said Templeton, like generations of others, was taught at Princeton to reject parts of Genesis in favor of man's beliefs concerning such things as billions of years. And, you know, finally hit the doubts about everything he stood for became too great, and he decided to leave the ministry. And he writes about this in his autobiography, Farewell to God. Charles Templeton lists his reasons in there for rejecting the Christian faith. And, Bill, most of these were related to him questioning the accuracy of Genesis. Boy, so he left the faith. He left the faith. Denied it altogether. Yep. And, you know, when you go to college or university, there's going to be pressure to cave and people look up to their professors. You know, they're an authority figure. That's why, you know, parents shouldn't be so proud or want, you know, their kids to go to some Ivy League school today, especially. Oh, you have to be careful with what they teach. Yeah, I don't, I don't even, I, anyways, I won't go there. (laughs) I know. You know, as believers, we understand that Two of the devil's most effective ways he deceives people is through pride and fear. Now, there are hundreds of commands throughout the Bible telling us, do not fear, do not be afraid. You know, Jesus said in Luke 12, 4 and 5, and fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Then Hebrews 13, 6 says, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. And one more verse, 2 Timothy 1, 7 says, for God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. So we're not to fear man, we're to fear God. That's really excellent, Bill. You know, so once we open the door to fear, as you said, it's one of the, one of the devil's most effective ways to deceive people. You know, when we open that door, we lose our peace and our ability to hear from the Holy Spirit. That's right. You know, and this is what happened to many Christians in 2020. Exactly. They succumbed to the fear and the narrative that was put out there. That's right. So walking in obedience to God's word will also keep us humble and protected from pride. You know, and how do we humble ourselves? David said in Psalms 35, 13, I humbled myself with fasting and with my prayer. That's right. You know, and... That's a real key. It is. Praying and fasting is so crucial. And uh, 2 Chronicles 32, 26, Then Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, so that the wrath of the Lord did not come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. So that's pretty powerful. God, you know, put off his wrath the whole time Hezekiah was 
king because he humbled himself before God. That's right. You know, so humility will protect us from the enemy and keep us under God's protection and being teachable. So true. You know, willing to listen to others' counsel and so forth. Right. You know, and as for the workings of the devil, remember the story of Samson and Delilah. You know, Delilah was relentless. She was persuasive and very persistent. And this is how the devil works. He attempts to discourage Christians with multiple attacks to wear us out mentally, emotionally, and physically. Daniel 7.25 says, And he, the Antichrist, shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. You know, and then Galatians 6.9 warns us not to grow weary. It says, And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. You know, that is such a good point about how the devil tries to wear us out you know, mentally, emotionally, and physically, I just went through, um, as you know, Bill, you know, some of those types of attacks on me. um, And during this last year with my father getting so sick and ill, and I had to run him to doctor's appointments constantly and didn't know if he was going to die, then he did go on hospice. And then he ended up passing in October. And then right behind that two days before he passed, my mom broke her hip in her 80s, and then she had these downward spirals, right? Right. And and now she's on hospice. So it it was like one thing after another, just trying to wear me down and wear me out. Right. And then I had people telling me, I'm not doing this right. You need to do this. You need to do that. So it was also affecting, you know, affects you mentally and emotionally. And there were other things with family members before that, you know. Exactly. So that is a tactic of the enemy, and he'll work through people, even, well, even well-meaning people sometimes. Right. But here are four ways to protect our mind and our emotions. Number one, we've got to take that time to spend time in God's Word every day and renew our minds. Romans 12, 2 tells us, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And then James 1.21 says to receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So the only thing to help our mind and our soul, our emotions, is God's word must be planted or deposited into our heart daily. And that takes time and effort. And the devil will try to steal your time every single day. So we, we have to be very intentional. And Proverbs 4.23 warns us to guard our heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Boy, that is really big. That's so important. That's a powerful one. And then lastly, under renewing our minds, Mark 4, the entire parable tells us that the condition of our heart determines how effective God's word will be in our life. Boy, guarding our heart, guarding what we hear, what we see, and the friends we associate with and so forth. We really got to protect it. You know, uh, number two, don't be quick to believe everything you hear and weigh everything against God's word. And I just want to look at uh, five verses here quickly. Colossians 2, 4 says, I am telling you this so that no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. You know, some people come up with this great argument, you know, and you've got to protect yourself against that and not be deceived. You can be swayed by their arguments. Oh, absolutely. And these come now, you know, more than ever, Bill, today, we've got to be on guard with this through the media. 
right. about any crisis going on and with AI, because there's already a lot of false information or fake information going out there that I, AI is creating, mm-hmm. right? And that right. the news media will, you know, feed on and, and continue with. So we really right. have to be on guard with that. Right. So it's also in that area besides well-crafted arguments biblically, right? Right, right. Uh, not another verse, Ephesians 4.14 says that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. So there's all kinds of beliefs out there that we've got to be careful and guard ourselves, compare it to what the word of God says. Acts 17.11 says they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. You see, they compared it to the scripture. Search the scripture. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.13 says, But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So we know that's happening today. So we know that. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So again, studying the word of God and seeing what it really says, you know, so don't be easily swayed into believing everything on social media or the news and examine the sources of your information. This is really important today. Absolutely. And today we have wicked leaders, politicians, even pastors and AI using scripture verses to justify their sin. That's right. Right. We've got to study. And so number three, we've got to choose also and protect godly friends and relationships. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Be not deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. Proverbs 13.20 states, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise. Who are we associating with? Mm -hmm. Hebrews 3.13 says, You must warn each other every day so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. And I just want to read this out of the, I I like what the Jack Hayford Bible, it said um, that the believer's best defense against self-deception is through mutual accountability to one another, especially to a local congregation. That's right. So the church you go to, a good Bible-believing church, there's people there, friends and people that you can associate with that will help guide you. Yeah, and keep you accountable. And right. that goes along with Ephesians 5.21 that says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. So if we are around godly people, some will recognize if we are in sin or in error, and they will warn us as a friend would. And this will help us avoid deception. Right. You know, here's an example of an extreme deception. In Second Peter 2.13 It says, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you. Now, Nelson's commentary, page 1698, says this about that. Uh, These heretical teachers were so self-deceived that they actually thought they were celebrating their freedom in Christ with their drunken revelry at the Lord's table. They were at the Lord's table and they're drunk and thinking, well, we're so free, we can do whatever we want, you know, and drink and party and and that's, that's how free we are. They're so deceived to think that. And they're supposed to be taking communion, right. right, with one another. Right, and walk in holiness and the fear of the Lord. Yeah, so it's, again, that goes, goes under number three, choosing our friendships wi- wisely, right, our relationships. Right. 
And number four, um, to guard against deception is to obey and do what God says. James 1.22 says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So if we don't know and we don't practice God's word, so we have to know it and we have to do it. If we don't, we will fall prey to deception. It's pretty much, I mean, that's as simple as we can make it. Whatever we hear should always be compared to what the Bible says. And if the world says fornication is perfectly normal, we know that God said it's a sin. Exactly. You know, in Luke 8, 21, Jesus said, My mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. Acts 5, 29 says, But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. You know, throughout the scriptures, we are exhorted to grow in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and to renew our thinking by planting God's incorruptible word into our hearts. Satan's agenda is to convince people that there is no God or that there are many ways to heaven. You know, there are many religions today that believe Jesus existed and they say he was a prophet or a good teacher. And, and Bill, but the most critical issue is that they do not believe he is God okay. and that they must place their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And this is because the devil has convinced people that because there are numerous religions which Satan had invented, then there must be many ways to heaven. To say there is only one way to heaven would seem narrow-minded and offensive to many, right, Bill? Right. That's why Satan came up with so many beliefs, so people can say, well, wait a minute, your one belief is the only way? That's very narrow-minded. Well, there is only one way. Jesus said he was the only way in John 14, 6. He made it clear and throughout the other scriptures. You know, Jesus asked his disciples in Matthew 16, 13, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, every person must answer this correctly, or they will end up in hell. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to leave us a rating or comment. We value your feedback. Stay in touch and learn more about this ministry by visiting us at soulchoiceministries.org.